Welcome back to The Jig Is Up. To all you wonderful and amazing Métis people out there listening, thank you for tuning in once again. Uh, my name's Darcy, of course, and normally Jason joins me, but tonight he has some uh, family obligations and some, some renovation obligations and life and work and everything else, so he's a little bit too busy tonight. So I will be ranting and raving on my own tonight. Again, I know. Probably you guys are probably pretty tired of hearing my voice, but um, I wanted to start off the show... And uh, last week here in Calgary, uh, the Indigenous community as a whole lost one of our elders, um, Mr. Tay, or Daryl Brass. Uh, Daryl was a kind and patient man who worked tirelessly with his wife, Linda, within our community. Um, I spent time learning from Mr. Tay, both in and out of ceremony. Uh, He's the one that told me my name through ceremony. He was the first elder I ever heard speaking to men that it was okay to show emotions, to cry, and to be normal human beings with an emotional uh, scope. Uh, I will never forget his water drum or his stories he had around that drum or any of his other stories that he had. Uh, He was kind, funny, loving, and always open to people, no matter who you were. Uh, You will be missed, Mr. Tay, but now... You are one of the grandfathers that we all pray to. So it was a, it was a tough loss for the Calgary community last week. Um, he was very, very active within the community, so he will definitely, definitely be missed. Um, so moving on, I thought we would start, or I would start, I guess, tonight, with a little bit of academics, talking about academic papers, because I think there's a very serious issue going on within the Métis community about academics, in my opinion, rewriting history or creating the new narrative. And unfortunately, it's at the expense of our elders. I don't think um, these academics spend nearly enough time talking to elders and listening to elders, and they simply read it in books and figure they know more about being Métis than anybody else. I have <clears throat> I have seen elders that uh, were totally ignored or, I, I don't know how you say it, minimalized, minimized because of the arrogance of certain academics. Um, I have witnessed people who only discovered their Métis roots and are in within the academia circle, but now they... So they've read lots of books now. They know everything about there is to know about Métis, and so they they decide to go on social media and you know tear into people who I know were born, raised, and lived their entire life connect with that Métis connection and knowledge and teachings and family and everybody in the family was Métis, and those people who now are what I consider elders within the Métis community who've probably forgotten more about being Métis than these guys will ever know, who've experienced life as being Métis, uh, being sidelined because of these academics and being not only sidelined but attacked and, and you know disparaged and treated like garbage. All the while, these guys claim to be respectful to their elders and, and everything. And this isn't them being disparaging to Eastern Métis elders, although they're disparaging to all Eastern Métis. Uh, This is really, there's a lot of Red River Métis that have uh, been attacked and and defamed and and belittled and sidelined by these so-called academics. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about academic papers and and the whole academia. 
I myself am not an academic, but uh, I did. There was a the reason I wanted to talk about this was there was a couple of things that I, I recently have come across. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is a um, discussion that happened at Laurentian University in Quebec. And the other one is something I heard actually on another podcast about uh, academic papers. So I'm going to start with the thing at the Laurentian University. Apparently, and now you'll have to forgive me because I don't speak French. Um, I can sort of read French and understand what it means, but I don't speak it. So I'm really getting this knowledge from somebody who translated some things for me. But um, apparently they discussed what, like, what, it, what does it mean to be an Indigenous researcher? What does Indigenous research mean? And they discussed that only Indigenous researchers and those who work with communities should be allowed to study Indigenous people. This would mean that a certain really famous, you know, know-it-all, quote-unquote, Métis academic out there would not qualify because... That person, A, doesn't work with those communities that he likes to disparage, defame, and attack. But he's also not himself Indigenous. He does not identify as Indigenous. He doesn't identify as Métis. He doesn't identify as First Nation. So he identifies as a settler. Then, therefore, according to this discussion, which wasn't just a university discussion, this is actually a discussion with Indigenous people who were invited in from all over, from, I'm guessing, parts uh, all over the place for this discussion. Uh, one of the quotes that came out of this was, uh, good academic research on Aboriginal peoples cannot be done without their full participation. This is reflected in the second memo Wazing interdisciplinary colloquium that brought together dozens of researchers from across the country at Laurentian University. And I'm, I apologize that I butchered that one word because it's a language I don't know. Um, but let's talk about that. So good academic research on Aboriginal people cannot be done without their full participation. This means if you're going to study a community, and, and let's, let's, uh, let's give full benefit of the doubt here. Let's go full devil's advocate. Let's say I wanted to study these, you know, Eastern claims of Métis, and I'm going to go and debunk the myth, right? As certain academics claim. Which is fine. Uh, absolutely. Go do that research. But you can't do that research without actually talking to the people in the community. Without actually going to that community. Without actually sitting down and listening to the elders within that community. Or the people that that community considers their elders. Now, if you do all that, you do your research, you do your local research, you listen to the oral histories, and you put all that together and you still come out with these guys are frauds, that's a different story. That's something that, you know, we could maybe consider. But to just simply say, well, I read it in books and I did research on online and, and I did research through col colonial documents and there's nothing that says they were Métis. Well, no kidding, Sherlock. I mean, let's see. The government and the churches that didn't want to acknowledge any indigenous people as actual human beings at, at one point in time, uh, didn't write down that these people were Métis. The same governments and churches that wouldn't allow um, Métis people to form their own communities, wouldn't allow mixed-breed people to um, be there on their own and form their own groups and structures and governments. Huh. Shocking that they wouldn't acknowledge that these people are indigenous. Um, 
And the other thing that they said was historically Aboriginal research has meant experts, anthropologists, non-Aboriginal people studying Aboriginals. But today there are several Aboriginal researchers. We want to start a conversation about what is an Indigenous researcher. And I think that is what exactly what's happening. You have these so-called experts who are non-Indigenous, you know, anthropologists, sociologists, whatever. They got a PhD, so clearly they know more than anybody else about anything, right? And they're telling us what about Métis identity? Really? I think I would rather go to Métis elders. I have a really good elder here in Calgary who's Métis. And if you ever tried questioning her Métis, boy, I would sorely, sorely feel bad for you. Um, she is Red River Métis. <laughs> you can't get more Red River Métis. And, um, you know, she's got a very different definition than what these so-called academics say. And she's got a very different definition than what the what we call the cartel, what they say. Um, now, on top of that, so that was the first thing I came across this week, which I think... Um, I hope we get a translated version into English so that I can understand it and read it fully. Um, but for those of you who do speak or, or you know fairly fluent French or even moderately fluent French, I do. Uh, I would encourage you to go and look this up and look up the research and look at what they came across or what they were discussing, because I think it's a discussion that we desperately need to have within the Métis community as to who is a Métis researcher. And it starts with, you cannot be non-Métis and consider yourself a Métis identity expert. But these Métis identity experts who are so adamant and vehement about their, their anti-Eastern Métis um, mentality kind of feed into the second thing that I, I actually listened to a, a probably about a two-hour podcast um, with these two fellows. And it was on the Joe Rogan podcast. I don't remember which episode it was. But uh, these two fellows, one, one's got, the, the people that were on the show were James Lindsay and Peter Bogosian. But there was another lady that uh, was part of the group, called, and her name was Helen Pluckrose. And they are all academics um, who decided, they started seeing a lot of academic papers they were getting written. Oh, it was on Joe Rogan's episode 1191 for anybody who wants to go listen. I would encourage you to do so because it really, within probably the first 10 minutes of listening to this podcast, I could not stop but think about all of the so-called academics who write papers exactly like these guys describe as the wrong way to write academic papers. So what these guys did was over the last... Over the course of, I think, um, about a year and a half, maybe closer to two years, uh, these guys wrote 20 fake um, academic papers. But they used very fashionable jargon, and they argued for absolutely ridiculous conclusions. And I would encourage you to go listen to that Joe Rogan episode to hear about what some of these papers were about, because they were honestly so ridiculous. Um, like it sounds like a comedian's act that they wrote these papers for. Um, and so again, it's Joe Rogan episode 1191. Now the thing is, is in order to get, uh, your academic paper to get any type of real, you know, esteem, 
is it's got to be published. So that means it's got to go through a peer review process, and then it gets published. Um, and then, you know, if, if the peer reviewer is saying, well, we'd like you to change this or we, we need more information on that, it goes back to you, you, you fix it up, it goes back to them, they review it again, so on and so forth. So these guys did this, and they tried to get them placed in high-profile journals in fields including gender studies, queer studies, fat studies, and uh, in identity studies. Their success rate for getting their their papers published was unbelievable. Uh, by the time they took their their little experiment public, seven of their articles had been accepted for publication uh, by ostensibly serious peer-reviewed journals. Seven more were still going through the various stages of the review process, and only six had actually been rejected. They did manage to place articles in some of the most influential academic journals in the cluster of fields that focus on dealing with issues of race, gender, and identity. So I think why this stuck out for me, like I said, it really struck me as to how closely related this is to what certain non-Eastern academics like to put out there. Um, so what, what these guys were talking about is they, they wrote these ridiculous papers to, to show people how academic papers have almost become a ridiculous effort now. And you have academics that put out these ridiculous papers, they get published, and because now they're a published uh, academic person, uh, that opens up job offers for them and job opportunities. And therefore, they can get tenor and they can do all these things. And so it really gives them a lot of credence. The other thing it does is then all the other people in these areas start going, well, that's a that's a published paper. So I can actually take that and start teaching that in my class. So now you're teaching that to the youth. And the problem they had with a lot of these papers is that what they said was these papers start with a conclusion. And then they work backwards to find stuff that supports their conclusion. They're not starting from a hypothesis. Like, uh, and, and in our case, what I saw, hap- what I see happening is we're starting from the conclusion that Eastern Métis never existed. Okay, let's walk backwards now and try to figure out whatever it takes to prove, or in, in our opinion, prove our conclusion that we've already decided. And then we'll use really fashionable jargon like race shifting and you know, settler colonialism and uh, ethnogenesis of Eastern Métis. And we use all these fancy, cool-sounding terms, and people will be like, oh, yeah, that must be right because it's a big word, and I don't really understand what's going on, but these people are all excited about it. And you, But you started from a point of, of absolute conclusion to begin with, and you work backwards using fashionable jargon to argue these ridiculous, for these ridiculous conclusions. And that is not how these academic papers are supposed to work. And then when it goes to peer review, um, and peer review is not supposed to be your friend who has the same opinions with the same attitude who you speak to and you know very well. That is not peer reviewed. That is friend reviewed. Peer reviewed is from anonymous peers. It, you send the you submit the paper. It goes to the editor of these publications. They send it out to people that they want to peer review it, and you don't know who they are, and then it comes back and blah, blah, blah. So it's supposed to be anonymous peer review. Not, oh, yeah, my buddy, uh, she peer reviewed it and said it was great. 
uh, that is not peer-reviewed uh, academic research. That is my buddy over here. That's like me getting my buddy drunk and saying, look, just tell everybody I caught a, a, a 85-pound rainbow trout, okay? And he's like, dude, sure. For a free case of beer, I'll say that. That is not peer-reviewed fishtails, okay? That's my my buddy telling me and backing up my story. And I think that fits in, and, and that's why I would encourage you guys to go listen to this episode. They they touch on a, a few subjects in a way that maybe you won't like, uh, just their, their opinions of certain subjects. But the truth is, is what their, their whole experiment was about was using fashionable language to support a conclusion you've already drawn and then getting it published, which means then people can teach that to students in universities. And that's the real danger here is then you start teaching what essentially is absolute bullshit to students who are then sitting there in class going, well, I'm paying how many thousands of dollars per year to get this academic teaching, and they're teaching me this. So I'm going to take that as truth. And you can really create uh, quite the the self-fulfilling prophecy here. But it is a very interesting way that uh, these academic, you know, quote-unquote academics are using this as a tool to almost, I don't want to say brainwash, but really, uh, you know, uh, draw people to their ideas and, and, and try to steer people away from the actual truth. So what we have in the Métis world is we have these academics writing these papers who start with a conclusion, and they only use the, the, the research points that they and snippets that they edit out that they think proves their conclusion. And they ignore any other evidence that would prove their conclusion false. And then they throw in a bunch of really fancy terms and fashionable jargon, uh, like Eastern Métis are going to trample on First Nations rights. Well, of course, to, if, if I was First Nations, I was living on the East Coast, if I heard that, I'd be pissed off too. I'd be like, who are these dorks to come... Try? We're just, we're, we don't even really have our rights yet back and you want to come and steal mine? No, screw you. I'd feel the same way. And so I don't I don't blame the people. I don't blame anybody else but these academics who are perpetuating uh, revisionist history based on these scholarly peer-reviewed papers, which is, you know, my four friends that all have this opinion are going to look at my paper and say, yeah, it's good. So then it's peer-reviewed, which is not the peer review process, by the way. Then they go on the media because now they're published academics. So you have to take them seriously. And not only does it do a disservice to academia, it teaches bullshit to students, it revises history and completely slaughters what's actual true history. You didn't work with, you know, going back to the Laurentian U discussions, you didn't work with any of those communities. You didn't discuss anything with any of those elders. You didn't even go to those communities. You know nothing about them. You just started with a conclusion, well, they're not Métis, they don't exist. And then you work backwards and and you only use the bits and pieces that you can manipulate into proving your point and then dress it all up with that fashionable jargon and you got yourself an academic paper. But it what it also does is it casts this uh, shadow of doubt and distrust on you know, academics that really are truly trying to do something, trying to do the research in the right ways, starting not with a conclusion, but with a 
with a, a question. You know, rather than saying, well, these people aren't Métis, let's go prove it. Start with the question, are they Métis? I don't know. What is Métis? Well, let's, let's go start doing some research in these communities. Let's talk to these communities. Let's be in these communities. And that's, that's what I think it, it does a huge disservice to, is the people that read them, the students that get fed this stuff, and all the other academics that really are trying to work hard at publishing a really good, solid, solidly um, um, researched paper that has a lot of value... Well, they don't get the high praise and the publicity because they don't they don't dress it up with all the fans, fans, fashionable jargon and make it sound really cool and then use language that um, you know builds up fury in people and grabs onto people's emotions so that they can climb on board your theory, your conclusion, and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what it's done is give non-indigenous, you know, a, a specific non-indigenous researcher. Um, credence and credibility because now First Nations are climbing on board saying absolutely he what he writes is true. No, it's really not. It's it's not academic in any means. It's it's done in a in a in a bullshit academic way. So this is uh you know it's funny how some of this stuff comes out because I listened to that podcast. It was like two or three days later. Um, I read this article or somebody sent me this article about Laurentian U. And I thought it just really kind of coincided. And I'm, well, I got to talk about this because these these guys are absolutely perpetuating falsehoods based on uh, crappy academic papers that get published because they're peer reviewed by their buddies. And it even if they re, you know, if if an if a real academic was to come along, do real research go to the communities, dig through their research, listen to their people, listen to their elders, blah, 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 do all that research, spend the time and effort, and come to the same conclusion, then I would say at least that has some merit and value. But when you just go with a conclusion, say they're not Métis, and here's a couple of newspapers, here's some stuff I found in the archives that I read on colonial papers that support that uh, from the government who didn't want to, who denied that they existed at all because it benefited them, yeah, no, it sounds good, and then I'll get my buddy to read it and sign off on it. Pretty cool. Awesome. Peer-reviewed. That's not how it works, and I think it's it's total disservice. So it, it's it's just interesting how that stuff kind of comes at you all at once, and um, I think it's important for people to understand that. And I, and I hope you guys go out and listen to that episode. And <clears throat> while I might not agree with everything they said, I don't agree with some of their personal opinions, that's neither here nor there. That they have the freedom of speech. They have the right to their own opinion. Everybody's got one. But what I what I was really interested in is when I when I listened to what they were saying, but I threw it through the frame of okay, well, how does this fit in the Métis world? It like the pieces of the puzzle really start fitting together. So I highly recommend it. Um. So enough about that. That was uh, that was yeah, but all I had to say about that. Uh, the last thing that I want to touch on tonight. I know it's going to be a shorter episode because I don't have Jason to chit-chat, but um, the the last thing I wanted to touch on was once again, we have the Manitoba Métis Federation bringing in a very interesting statement that I think uh, speaks volumes about them as an organization. And apparently there was a throne speech in Manitoba from the provincial government. And this was the Manitoba Métis Federation's response. 
And I quote, It is no surprise that the Métis Nation... Métis Nation's Manitoba Métis community was not included in today's throne speech. There is nothing for the Métis Nation in the speech apart from a continuing lack of provincial vision. There is nothing but a hollow and vague commitment to advancing reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in Manitoba. The Manitoba Métis are taxpayers and builders of this province we founded. As contributors to Manitoba's growth, we would expect to be a continuing part of its success. Unfortunately, we are not a part of this provincial government's future plans. In Pallister's mind, Métis will never fit into his kingdom. Now, this is slanted with a very bitter, 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 bitter look because they recently lost $87 million worth of free money. Um... And whether that's right or wrong, that's for the courts to decide at this point what I think they're going to lose. I think the Pallister government's going to win that one. Um, so you just got it, you just lost like almost $90 million in funding. Uh, so yeah, it's coming from a little bit of a bitter standpoint. I get that. But there's some language here that I think was very interesting. And this is what bothers me so much, especially with you know, Red River Nationalists or these these people online that are just absolutely vehement about uh, there's no Métis in the East and we're all, you know, whatever. And uh, b- besides those people and their, the, the, the irony that a lot of them did not grow up knowing their Métis roots and they're now attacking people that did. But I think... This is the kind of language that, that drives me nuts. And, and the, the first thing that, that really stood out for me was the statement, there is nothing but a hollow and vague commitment to advancing reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in Manitoba. So what, the, what this says to me is that the, Man, the Manitoba Métis Federation, and really David Chartrand, because let's face facts, it's his opinion that only matters in that organization, they think that they're above... First Nations. They're above other Indigenous people in Manitoba because they should be specifically mentioned, not, you know, just lumped in with the other riffraff. That's what that statement says to me. I have had those nationalists and, you know, and even seeing what the cartel and their lead, the so-called leaders do and, and how they act. And these people do not believe that they are in the same Indigenous family as First Nations. Uh, I have been told that, uh, you know, well, you're not Métis, but, you know, maybe you might be, like, you know, n- non-status, but you're not Métis. As though non-status are somehow less than Métis people. Um, and, and and I think that's the same thing with this statement. There's nothing but a hollow and vague commitment to advancing reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. Well, yeah, there's, there's uh, whether, you know, I don't believe the Pallister government cares either, but about any Indigenous people, no government in Canada really truly does. That's just a fact. Um, but the truth is, is why would the Métis Nation need to be specifically mentioned? Why can't they be mentioned with all of their in, other Indigenous family? And it it it's it speaks volumes to their desire to be recognized above all the other indigenous well we should be specifically mentioned 
So that was my first thing that I, I didn't like about that. And and it's because I've gotten so much of the, well, maybe you can be ha- you know non-status, but you can't be Métis. Well, I'm sorry, but that attitude is not an attitude I can take. And even if I did qualify and meet all the paperwork requirements for the cartel organizations, I would not want to be part of them because I don't want to be represented by people that have that attitude that, well, you're just a ha- you could be a half breed or you could be a non-status, but you'll never be Métis. Well, <laughs> that's a ridiculous statement. Just as ridiculous as this. You're too good to just be lumped in with all the other indigenous people in Manitoba. So then let's move on to a couple of the other th- other things that I noticed. Um, so besides being unhappy that they're in that the indigenous peoples category, um, their comments of Métis are taxpayers. Uh-huh. Here's a tip. Everybody in Manitoba is a taxpayer. That includes First Nations people. Dun-dun-dun! So here you have the leader of one of the most public Métis organizations who's constantly in the press and in the media making the statement, Métis are taxpayers. Well, no shit. That's like saying Métis have two feet or Métis are human beings. Yeah, we all are. First Nations and Inuit and and non-Métis Indigenous and non-status, they're all taxpayers too. So... What are you getting at? Like, uh, are you trying to perpetuate the myth that other indigenous people are not taxpayers? Is that why you should be, you're better than them? So that statement to me is ridiculous. Métis are taxpayers. It implies after they said what they said about, you know, hollow and vague commitments to indigenous people. Well, you're indigenous people. Um, But to then say, you know, after saying that and saying Métis are taxpayers, to me, all I heard was, we pay taxes and, you know, those other guys don't. So really, like, why aren't we, you know, being singled out as being really important to this province? So that kind of implies that the other Indigenous groups are not taxpayers, which, again, is a really stupid goddamn myth and it really pisses me off. Um, mate, And then their other, another statement they made was Métis... Well, the Métis did find, I, the Métis, and this isn't their statement, but Métis did found that province. But they did so on the land of First Nations people. And so, if you want to make statements like, you know, we founded this province. Uh-huh. You founded a province on top of First Nations territory. So, isn't that colonization? That's a very colonial attitude. Now, I don't think Louis Riel and Gabriel Dumont and everybody that was involved there, John Bruce and all those guys, I don't think that that was their vision was to create a province and deny and, and, then, and then want supremacy within that province, um, which, is, which is what that statement says to me. We founded the province. Yeah, you founded the province on First Nation land. So <laughs> what are you saying? Um and then uh, the other statement they said was, as contributors to Manitoba's growth. Uh-huh. And all the other Indigenous people in Manitoba are contributors as well to Manitoba's growth. Uh, are they implying that they are not? The other Indigenous are not contributors? And so this is, you know, it's statements like these that drive me nuts. 
Because even if I really, really try hard to really like these Métis cartel organizations, I simply can't. I cannot get behind statements like this. I cannot believe that more Métis people aren't seeing these statements and saying, what are you doing? How can you speak like that when our First Nations families are standing right beside us and all you're doing is alienating them? But that's what he does. He tells grand chiefs in Manitoba that they don't own the land. He signs energy deals with no First Nations uh, thought whatsoever on First Nations territory for land that they don't even have in territories they don't even have. Um all because they have this supremacist ideology that, well, because we founded the province, we, we have all the rights. We are supreme beings here. And that is what I d- just absolutely find abhorrent um, amongst all the other stuff. You know, last week we went on for a good solid hour and a half about governance and financials again. That stuff irritates me, and I think I, I can't understand why Métis have not made these organizations accountable and more transparent to this date. So that drives me nuts, simply from a, a purely um, financially responsible and transparent mentality. But this stuff, this stuff gets under my skin. When you start placing yourself above other in first, other indigenous people, as though they are the lesser form of, of indigenous, this drives me nuts. And I think everybody should have a problem with this. I, and I... I I can't stress that enough. I could go on and on literally for hours about this stuff. Um, and I, I really could. I could cycle around this idea for hours because I just find it so abhorrent. Um, you know, when I look at uh, First Nations that are jumping on board with these academics claiming that Eastern Métis are trying to take away the rights of First Nations people, Eastern Métis are just in it for, for you know, financial gain. Uh-huh. And what is the MMF in for? What, are, what is the cartel in for? They're in it for financial gain, and they're in it on, and they're doing things on, without constant consultation with any First Nations, without caring about what First Nations have to say in these territories. Let's be very clear. The cartel organizations have, have exactly zero land base. Zero. Whether that's right or wrong is not the point. I believe it is wrong. I believe Métis should have land. But the only people that have land are the Métis settlements in Alberta, and they are not governed by the cartel organizations. They, the cartel organizations have no authority over them whatsoever. So when they're signing energy deals and they're signing this on their territory, what territory? What land? You're signing it on First Nations territory, First Nations land. You're not acknowledging that those were the first people here that those grandmothers that we came from, that was their territory. And you need to respect their family and all of our ancestors who make us a family and make us all Indigenous people. And it you know it goes back to what I believe they're trying to do is rewrite where their rights come from. Uh, they, they want their right, the Indigenous rights for Métis people to come from their organizations, not from their Indigenous ancestors. And I think all of this, to me, is just wrong, wrong, wrong. And I don't understand how more people aren't standing up to this this absolute garbage that they're throwing out. Um, to say 
to be disappointed that you're lumped in with all the other indigenous and then to start making statements right after that saying, you know, Métis are taxpayers, we're contributors to Manitoba's growth. What that says to me is you don't see First Nations as taxpayers, contributors to Manitoba's growth, or actually not even just First Nations, all of the Indigenous people that live in Manitoba, including the Métis that are there that are not part of the MMF, including the non-status and status, including some any Inuit that live there that have moved there for jobs or anything like that, um, those people are all contributors. They're all taxpayers. They're all part of Manitoba's growth. Um, so, th- and I guess that's where I, I just get lost. I, I don't understand how this stuff's allowed to continue. Um, I I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about this other issue, but this kind of leads into something else that I saw today on, on Facebook. And, um, you know, people here in Métis Nation of Alberta are complaining about uh, the fact that it's been 100 days, over 100 days, I think now, since they voted at their annual General Assembly to reinstate the Métis judiciary. And we talked about this on the last podcast. But to extend the discussion on that a little bit, uh, what I saw was a lot of people saying, you know, oh, when is Audrey going to do this? When are, you know, when is this going to get done? And blah, blah, blah. Well, I looked in their bylaws, and it actually is not up to the president. So Audrey doesn't have to do anything. What it's up to is the regional councils. So in the Métis Nation of Alberta's bylaws, it says that the regions elect one person each to sit on the Métis judiciary. So that's six people for six regions. So my question to all you Métis Nation of Alberta members that are out there, or people that have family that are in the Métis Nation of Alberta, um, why aren't you going to your regional presidents and demanding that they reinstate the judiciary, that they uh, re-elect a person to represent that region on the Métis judiciary? Audrey has nothing to do with it. Audrey can't... Uh, according to their bylaws, she can't nay or yay anything. She doesn't get to have a say. It's up to the regions. So if you got the six regions to nominate a judiciary, you now have a judiciary back. And I really can't stress to people enough, take your power back from these organizations. Don't sit on the sidelines for another four years and hope that things get better. They won't. The only way it's going to get better is if grassroots people start standing up and saying no more. Here's what the bylaws say. I don't care what Madame President Audrey says or Mr. President Chartrand says. We have rights as Métis members in these organizations. We're taking back our rights. We're taking back our power. We're going to force you to stick to your bylaws. Um, enforce this stuff. Go to all of your regional offices. Get groups of people to go there. Send emails. Inundate them with emails, phone calls. Um, go there if you can during work hours and visit the office and say, what are you doing? When are you getting a person on the judiciary? Get all of these regional presidents to do something. Don't just leave it up to Madam President Audrey. Like, she's never going to do it. She had cases that were before the judiciary, which I highly suspect is why they were disbanded mysteriously. So I'm not part of the organization. I can't have anything to do with that. But it's very clear in your own bylaws. 
It takes the regional councils to reelect the people. So go to your regions and demand that they do it. And don't stop. Send an email every single day. Phone them every single day. Get many as many people as you can to start phoning, emailing, visiting, and demanding your power back. You are the Métis people with the power. Not Audrey sitting in Edmonton. Not David Chartrand. These guys only have power because they've taken it and everybody's allowed them to take it. So to all you cartel members out there, read the bylaws and make them adhere to them. Um, because this stuff matters. And I I just, I know that there's so many Métis in these organizations that don't feel like they're above other Indigenous people. I, I, I've never really met a Métis person face-to-face that would say these things like, Métis are taxpayers. Yeah, so are First Nations and Inuit and everybody else. What point are you making there? Nothing. And so if if I can't find Métis people that would say this, that would consider themselves above First Nations, then why are we... Why are these guys, these people on that are supposedly leaders within these organizations and have been for decades, why are they saying that? Um, so I, I, that's those are my thoughts today. I know they were kind of, you know, conflated and and maybe hurried a little. Um, but I think these are these are topics that we really seriously need to discuss, specifically the academic things. Um. I, I think we need to start slamming down slamming the doors down on these academics who would berate belittle and demean um, you know metis people that you know are Red River metis have very strong metis communities that they come from ties they're metis elders at this point and yet these guys still go after them that is not that is not okay that's not acceptable um so I, I think that's a discussion we need to have as Métis people is what it, what are we going to allow for Métis academic research? Is it just going to be some colonial dudes who got a PhD in a colonial institution learning from colonial textbooks, teaching the colonial history from colonial papers written by, colonia, written by colonizers? Is that really what Métis history is? That's not Métis history. Most Métis history is an oral history because it wasn't written down. Um... Are we going to throw logic out the door and just let these, you know, guys, well, you have a PhD, so you must know everything there is to know about everything. No, that is not acceptable. That is not how this works. Um, you know, when I look at elders, these are people that have spent their lifetime not just studying the culture, living the culture, breathing the culture, speaking the language, learning from their their elders and their grandparents and all of the grandparents in the communities, their aunts, their uncles, it's not right that that these academics are allowed to just you know crap all over that and walk away and say, yeah, but I'm a, I'm on APTN, so you know I know more than everybody else. No, you don't. You actually know very little. Um, so and then you know these organizations that like to put themselves above other indigenous people, that's not acceptable either. And we need to have start having people within those organizations stand up and say enough's enough. This is garbage. Stop saying these statements. This is not how any of us feel. So stop saying it. Um, and then back to the Métis Nation of Alberta. Guys, take your power back. 
get your regional offices to start standing up to this stuff. You know, uh, if if there's bullying within the uh, leadership and the provincial councils, it's up to the Métis people to end that crap. It's up to the Métis people to stand up to it and say enough's enough. And just voting isn't going to cut it. Uh, and going to an annual general meeting once a year ain't going to cut it. It's got to have to be every day, all day long. So those are my thoughts. Those are, uh, I guess that's all I got tonight. Um, again, I apologize Jason couldn't make it, but uh, I hope everything is uh, going well in his house, and, and I can't wait to get up there and see the finale of all the renovations. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I don't know when that'll be, but I think it's going to be soon. Um but definitely we're going to try to get him back next week ranting and raving like another lunatic. Um, and we'll have all brand new topics to talk about, which will be probably more of very similar topics than we've talked about before, but uh, it'll be whatever's new and happening in, in the Métis political world, in the Métis world. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the show and you want to uh, want to help support the show, head over to our Patreon page. The link will be in the description. And for as little as 5 bucks a month, uh, you can help us get this show, keep the show moving. Um, and, uh, if you don't want to do that, that's fine too. The shows are still free and you can still listen on iTunes, Google play. Um, they might, I don't think they're on Stitcher, but they're on Google play, iTunes, Podbean, and Patreon. So feel free to do that. Um, and I just hope you guys get out and hold people accountable and be wonderful Métis, uh, people within your community, because I know you guys listening are all wonderful Métis people. So go spread some Métis love and do great things this week. But for both Jason and I, even though he wasn't on tonight's podcast, that's all we have for tonight. Until next week, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. 